Okay, so here we are. This is Quasar Quinology number five. This is your co-host, Mike L. And uh, this is your other co-host, Joshua J. Murr. All right. So um, right now today we are covering six issues from Marvel 2 and 1, numbers 53 to 58. And the cool thing about this storyline is it's something that I kind of heard about through reading Marvel Universe and just hearing it referenced in um, like fanzines back in the 80s. I heard a lot about this storyline project Peg Pegasus and so I always wanted to read it. I finally got to read it a few months ago and then coincidentally because we started this Quasar Quinology podcast, I just read it again in the last couple nights. And it, it actually is exactly as good as I thought it would be. Um, mm -hmm. I have a lot of good things to say about it. I think it's of all the Quasar comics we've, we've re sorry, that we've reviewed so far, I think it's the best story. And oh, I also, by far. Yeah, it yeah. is, absolutely. And I also want yeah. to note that this is done by Mark Grenwald, who is the the gentleman who would write Quasar for his entire, whatever, 60-issue run or whatever okay. it was. Yeah, so he's sort of like, he didn't create Quasar, but he sort of adopted him. So okay. I, I had a lot of fun reading this story. Uh, what did you think, Josh? Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I Maybe it was just because we came off of the other two yeah. <laughs> recently that they were a little bit rough compared to this. Yeah, this one was a lot of fun. I, well, I really had had fun with this one. Yeah, and like in my opinion, as I was like, I you know, over the last, well, I guess 10 years, I've read mm. so many, like, because I've, you know, from reviewing comics, I've gone back and read a lot of uh, 70s and 80s comics. And I guess my passion waxes and wanes where sometimes I'll be like, I'm going to read every single, you know, Marvel DC comic ever written. <laughs> and then sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm ready to sell everything. I don't give a crap, you know, but this definitely restored my faith. And, you know, and the thing is, is this is not, let's be clear. This is not a innovative comic. It's not a, no. it's not a, you know, uh, um, a deconstruction of the genre. It's not Watchmen. It's not Dark Knight. This is a straight ahead superhero story with, action with fight scenes with with ridiculous names ridiculous costumes some of the plotting is ridiculous but for some for some reason which we'll talk about i think it all works it all works together yeah I, I think the reason why it all works too is that what they did they did right it the the writers uh grunwald and machio they they have the whole story picked out and and set right from the beginning right. it doesn't feel like they're laying the tracks one at a time before them as the train is going good point like you can you can feel that everything fits together and that's what i really love about uh this small little arc um i mean even down to like thundra's storyline mm -hmm. i will i'm sure we'll get into that later on when we, when we start talking about the issues but uh they introduce her right away and really she's not you know integral to the story until like I think the third or fourth story in right uh, but right. they set her up straight from the beginning which I absolutely loved you can tell that they knew the story that they wanted to write and they went ahead and wrote it I think exactly. that's why it works so well for me. I think you're right, and it's funny because even even though this is my second time reading it, I have such bad memory that when I was when I got to the Thundra subplots, I was like, oh, this is not important, you know. I don't know why they keep going back to this, but of course we see how it all plays out, right? We right. see how it all fits together. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even um, there's like a small little bit with uh, Bill Foster. Yes. Or, like in, in one of the in one of the uh, one of the issues that doesn't it's just kind of like a side comment and then later on um in the story 
in a different issue, it comes up that up again and it really ties it in. It feels like this story is one whole arc. Absolutely. Now you said there was yeah. something you wanted to bring up specifically about the storyline. Oh, that, that, that was that was it was the Thundra thing. It was it was that that everything kind of fit together. Yes. Uh, and with with the Bill Foster thing as well, it was um, uh, he, when he's fighting one of like the radioactive characters. I can't remember his name right now, uh, but uh, he just goes right in and starts fighting and Ben is kind of shocked that ah, he's yes. going in and like, oh, okay. And then later on in the last issue when they're fighting another like radioactive supervillain, he does it again and that the, the second time he mentions that it's because he has cancer and he... Right. That it's not much of a risk for him because he's he already has like radiation poisoning due mm-hmm. to that. So um, it's just... It was just something small that they... They didn't have to add, right? Like before, but but they they still did, and it felt like it was part of the story rather than again just being like oh, because in a lot of these older comics, especially, it sometimes feels like the writers open up their toy chest and they go through their Marvel action figures and they're like oh mm-hmm. which characters do I want to play? With? I want this one and this one, and then they mash them together and that's the story. But with True. this one, it. it was set up from the beginning and you can see and feel the, the steps that they took to in, integrate in it, integrate all of the characters together. That's a great point. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also important that it's, it, each of them has their own arc. Each of them has their own personality. And this right. is something um, I came across uh, with, um, I, I, was, I was online talking about Stanley. And people were pointing out how every character in a Stanley story has a completely different speech pattern. Yeah. And I mean, you could argue that, okay, well, you know, like, for example, the thing, he's got all these little catchphrases, like uh, my, he talks about his Aunt Petunia and Yancey Street. Mm-hmm. And even if you were to take those out, though, his speech pattern is distinct. He has, like, I, I don't know if it's a Brooklyn or a Bronx accent, but his gruffness, right? His attitude yeah, he's, he's towards intellectuals. very much a curmudgeon. And, right. Yeah, feel that just in in the dialogue he doesn't even have to be angry it's just the way that he he talks you absolutely can tell. right and yeah. and he, he has a he has a specific relationship with quasar because quasar is younger he has a specific mm-hmm. relationship with thundra and you know and, yeah. and bill foster it's just it's excellent it's just, and wonder even too right like, right you, you, exactly. you really feel that with the the uncle benji storyline like that's that really feels uh right absolutely and i think i think too when when reading his lines I, more so than any other character in this story, um, I could hear the voice. Yep. Like I, I, there, there's a Ben Grimm's The Thing voice in my head every mm-hmm. single time that he talks. Good point. Where I don't necessarily get that from any of the other characters. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, Quasar is probably the least defined character, but at the yeah. same at the same time, the, there still is. This they keep going back to this whole thing about how determined he is and how uh, dedicated he is to his job, right? And he, he's he's definitely young. They talk about how young he is, so at least there's that, you know. At least they right. give him something, but he's yeah, definitely less that, defined than the other ones. Isn't that kind of funny that Quasar is, I think, the the least developed character <laughs> that we've read about so far in the Quasar chronology? I know. <laughs> I, I think it just shows that. I mean. It, what happens with a lot of superheroes is they develop over time, right? Like, they, yeah, for sure. You know, they may be created by 
one person, but they're really, it sometimes takes years or decades to get to the point where they're even recognizable or appealing, you know? So. Right. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, with this first issue, so we're starting here with, so just so for anyone who doesn't know, Marvel 2-in-1 was a, was a team-up book. At the time, there was another uh, team-up book from Marvel, Marvel, uh, it was called Marvel Team-Up. This one's called Marvel 2-in-1, this is the thing. And someone else, a different person each issue. Uh, in, the 60s, in the 60s and 70s, the thing was a very popular character. Unfortunately, he's not as popular anymore. I don't know why. But um, I think it just, in general, the FF are not as popular. I don't know why. But anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what this was. And I love the fact that this is a six-issue storyline. And yet, I mean, it is mentioned on the cover at last, the saga of Project Pegasus. But if this came out today... We would have Project Pegasus Alpha number one. Then we'd have, <laughs> you know, Project, it would be emblazed all over the cover. And here it right. just sort of happens to be a six issue storyline. But it's cool because even though it's in one comic, because it's a team up comic, every issue has a different person co headlining with a thing, which I thought was cool. Right. Yeah, no, I, um, I think that, w- that really worked in favor of this story. Right. I was going to say that, uh, yeah, I think that it helps because I I was a little worried going into it, knowing that the thing was going to be the main character. Because I personally hadn't read a lot of comics where the thing was a standalone hero. Um, But that was just me. And I know that he works so well in the Fantastic Four with the family dynamic with the the rest of the the characters human torch and reed and sue like they all work together so well so i was really curious to see how this was all going to come together and yeah i don't i i couldn't remember like specific stories that i read where the thing was just the main character by himself like i know that he was Mm -hmm. by himself a little bit in civil war but um uh, yeah so i was i was really curious to see what they were going to do and i think that the team up was a really good way to do that you know introducing new characters with each issue to follow him along absolutely story. yeah now i want to point out so the first three issues are drawn are, are drawn by john byrne and inked by gene day or sorry no it starts off with joe sinnott so john byrne and joe sinnott um the thing in this story is so on model and when i say that i mean yeah it's like he could have been like it just looks like the definition of the thing from my memory it is perfect you know he's drawn yeah i agree and and john burn is not my favorite artist but here maybe it's because he's inked by joe sinnott he just looks flawless like i was gonna say some of the shading in this is so well done too Mm -hmm. and so yeah well joe sinnott like i'm not sure if you know joe sinnott is the guy that inked the majority of Jack Kirby's stories from the F on the FF in the sixties. And he's just, Oh my God, he's just, he can make, I mean, John Byrne is a decent artist, but he can make anyone look great. He's just such a good anchor. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about shading, uh, if you go to uh, page two of the story, when the Mm -hmm. jet is flying through the air, not only is it in a completely different direction and position, every panel, which is awesome. um, The panel where it's landing on the roof, it's very simple trick with just, some simple black shapes but those shadows of that jet make it absolutely look three-dimensional it's amazing yeah it's very well done even down to when the platform starts going down you can see that the shadow hits the different levels of the platform and bends with that curve right it's so well done yeah right 
and and it's it's one of those things where if you just glance at it, it's like, well, that's a photograph. It looks flawless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's perfect. I love it. Yeah. Um, really, so anyway, really well so yes, yeah, it's just, it's just great, and you know, and it's like that throughout. And you know, um, speaking of the storytelling and the art, uh, page seven, digital six. Mm-hmm. There's a great little sequence. As far as storytelling, I don't think John Burns a great artist, but I'll definitely give him credit as a good storyteller. On page mm-hmm. um, seven, which is digital six, you notice at the top of the page, uh, the thing is talking to this guard or whatever he is, and then you see a hand coming from behind the thing, mm-hmm. right? So it's a little bit of suspense. Who's the hand? Where is it? And of course, you go. To, I mean, it's kind of give it away very quickly that it's quasar but it's just a nice little touch right it just sort of right in your head joins the two panels together and it makes you sort of want to jump to the next one to find out what's going on yeah of course like reading it from left to right you kind of get the story that way as almost as if those were two different panels Right, but right. He just But it was just included in one, and then right in the next panel, you get the response. And again, going from right to left, like you, you end the first one wondering whose hand that is, and then uh-huh. you start the next one f- on the left, seeing that it's Quasar, and then going to the right, seeing like the thing's reaction to that. Good point. Good point. Um, but I, I also love that <laughs> poor Quasar, again... Is meet, is met with like a battle, like a fight right away when yeah, it's introduced. Good point. The same thing that happened in Captain America. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Come back like, here, oh, you blasted jumping beam. I know. Yeah, it's great. You're right. I mean, it, it, there you go, Marvel again. You know, misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh, fight scene, whatever. It's fine. It's not as bad as before. So, now, yeah, I, think I, also also ma- I think he another- also makes reference to that uh, later on. But yeah, I thought, yeah, I, I think he does. You're right. I also got to point out another reason. Like, did you ever read Marvel Universe when you were a kid? No, actually, I didn't. Oh boy, no. do, do you know what Marvel Universe is? Yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. Marvel. So I had Marvel Universe as a kid, and it was a great way to introduce me to characters that I didn't know anything about, including Quasar, including the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. And the interesting thing is, is each page had a pinup. There was a new. Uh, image drawn by whatever artist and then in the to fill out the rest of the page they would have panels from comic books and the cool thing yeah the cool thing is is at least a handful of the images in this comic were used for quasar's entry so i remember seeing all these decades before i actually read the story right oh that's really cool oh yeah it's great it's like seeing you know yeah it's like seeing clips from a movie and you don't know what you know what the context of them and you finally see it and it kind of just fills everything in for you but it's that's really really cool yeah see i i didn't have marvel universe but i did have this like big book that was like all of the marvel characters in one book and like it had bios for them and depending on how big the characters were they would have like longer uh, sections for them like obviously like Spider-Man like our, our main heroes Spider-Man sure. and Captain America they had like you know the double page and then uh, some characters were like split up m- multiple characters on a page but it was probably like a 500 or so page book mm-hmm. this huge hardcover and I would just flip through and every day look at a new character and see their first introduction and who they were and so I, I that's that's that was my first introduction to Quasar was that the, through that book was that the Marvel book with Spider-Man running up the side of the building I'm remember? not sure no I don't okay. think so I think this is a this was like 
probably early 2000s. Gotcha. Okay. And it was like this big hardcover book. Huh. I think it was I think it was white and it had like a bunch of characters on the front. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so there, I, I just, I got to bring up this point. I love it. So Quasar mm-hmm. says the thing, I think you've mistaken me for Bob Grayson, the man who originally wore this uniform. I'm told there <laughs> is a strong resemblance. And then he goes on to recap his career. Right. Or, or sorry, he first he recaps Marvel Boy's entire origin. And how he, and then by the way, Marvel Boy at one point was the Crusader. And then Wendell Vaughn got his armbands and became Marvel Man. And now he's Quasar. He explains it all in these, you know, six panels here again right. marvel and especially people like mark grenwald loving you know continuity building on continuity i just love that fact you know mm-hmm. i thought it was yeah. great yeah it was a lot of fun yeah and basically that. you know I, I wish we could talk about every panel but unfortunately we don't have time but i just gotta right. say this first issue is a really good introduction i mean it's got the i yeah. guess you could say the, the typical tropes of like a an, an adventure story it's got you know a little bit of mystery you know people sort of operating in secret you know the guy sending the secret message we don't know who's mm-hmm. talking to yeah. and then cutting away to the subplot with thundra to introduce her it's right. just it's just perfect. And, and going back to what i was saying before about uh setting up characters from the beginning and mm-hmm. knowing what your story is going to be in this first issue before we get any indication that he's going to be a, like a more of a major character in issue 57 i believe we mm. we see um, Solar, right? For just right. one panel, which is which is so fun. You, it's just to introduce that character, like these these characters are in the facility, right? And that um, there are these supervillains here, and yeah, they they make reference to him right in the first issue of this storyline, and then he isn't brought back until the end, right? So That's yeah, I thought point. that was really great. Well, and, that's and we also a, and get a little introduction into Wondar's um, deal as well. You know right. I mean? Yep. Well, and, and that's the thing is, ideally, I mean, sometimes you hear about, uh, you know, projects like, I don't know, All-Star Batman or, whatever, you know, various projects over the years where, especially in the 2000s, where they'll publish like two issues of a comic and then they'll never publish anything again because you'll find out that the writer hasn't finished the script. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why don't you finish the script for the last <laughs> issue before you publish the first issue? Yeah, no because kidding. ideally you would have it all mapped out anyway, right? I don't know. It just yeah. drives me bonkers. Can't stand that. That's yeah, so, weird. So anyway, yeah. So we get to the end of the first issue, and I just love this uh, cliffhanger here with Deathlock. What a cool way to end the issue, right? Yeah, he he shot. was one of my uh, favorite villains growing up. Okay. I saw him in a couple of different things, and I, there, I don't think there was really a reason why. I think he just looked cool, and I liked him as a kid. So I kind of grew up every time I, you know, he would pop up in a, in an issue. I would get kind of excited. So, and yeah, really, when I when I found out he was in it, I was I was pretty happy. And really, he's kind of like RoboCop, right? Yeah, yeah, you he kind of that. is. Yeah. Um, uh, well, we do find out though in the next issue that this isn't even Deathlock. Wait a minute! Did I somehow miss that? What do you mean it isn't Deathlock? This is Deathlock. So, oh, this is like a this is this like is, a this is a uh, life model decoy of Deathlock. Am I? Wh- how did I not pick up on that? I, I know it was a it, it was a throwaway line. I, I'll try to find where exactly okay. he says it, but but he says that he is 
um, he is no he's no longer there's no human left in in him there's no organic matter right i remember that he's completely robotic now so it turns out that um this is a complete robot replica of deathlock that the roxon corporation created okay um and this was set, and I was do. I, I was really curious because I I was like, there's no way that Deathlock is completely like he, he's known as a cyborg. So I was really sure. confused. So I wanted to go figure out what was going on, and it turns out a few issues earlier in Team Up number twenty six, okay. the Thing and Nick Fury uh, had the storyline together, and there was a supervillain named Mentallo. Okay, and he brainwashed Deathlock. And he was trying to use him to assassinate Jimmy Carter at his of inauguration, course. as one does. That's awesome, <laughs> right? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. some some way or another, Deathlock breaks out of the hypnosis, and um, uh, he like after the the final battle, he's unconscious and and falls to the ground. And Nick Fury, I think, takes him back to Shield. So the real the real Deathlock is like part of is like locked up in shield somewhere and this wow. this deathlock is a complete robot created by the roxon corporation but do they, so they don't explain that here though do they because all that no happens they don't is, okay. they don't explain this at all yeah this okay. is just something that happens <laughs> I, I was so curious that i had to go and figure out what actually happened because i was like there's no way he's, he's completely robot he's he's known as a cyborg and i was i was like determined to figure it out so yeah um That's so great. it was but it was just kind of fun i think that it ended up being a story with the thing and i think that goes back to the whole setting up things from the past right which was which is a lot of fun oh yeah it just it's just such a nice way to pay pay things off right and Mm -hmm. uh and i mean and this is why i mean this is why we're reviewing these comics is because we love the bronze age right we love the 80s we love the 70s um so yeah, some of the dialogue is cheesy, definitely, but <laughs> yeah. the plotting is excellent. I love it. Um, I actually wanted to. I had one quote in here, okay. I, um, <laughs> because the thing is, is the thing he he uses a line in here that he, he kind of used against uh, what's it, Mr. Fantastic before, but on uh, on digital page seventeen he says, "Sheesh, it's bad enough listening to Reed, but now we got to put up with this <laughs> Bill Foster egghead." So it's just kind of funny. At least he's yeah. consistent, right? You know, yeah. Again, like we talked about the characterization, he's he, he always sounds like the thing, so that's great. Yeah, that's um, great. Yep. And then again, we get to the end of this issue. We got another cliffhanger with the introduction introduction of um, who's this guy now? I don't even remember. Oh, Nuclo, right? The Nuclo, yep. Right. So yeah, a great yeah. issue again. Oh, uh, one one other thing that I want sure. to say, I don't I don't know why, but when we cut to the Thundra storyline. Hmm. The fact that the, she's versing a character named Pound Cakes, yes, absolutely killed me. I, like I actually, <laughs> I actually spit out my water. Like I was, I was. Yeah. It caught me so <laughs> off guard. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thought it was so funny. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're, d- we're also like briefly introduced to uh, Thundra and the um, and Letha. Yeah, and Mimi. Well, what yeah. they're called the. Um, the grapplers right 
the, the, the group of them are, are the grapplers. Mm-hmm. There's also a little bit of comedy on the one page where we just see the the trainer or whatever he is reacting to them all being tossed aside <laughs> by Thunder. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, there's some great moments in this issue. Again, we have a secret, mm-hmm. you know, phone call made. If this happened, there's no way they could get away with this today, right? There'd be cameras in every corner. Everything right. would be monitored. But back in the 70s, you know, when, when was this? I don't even know when this was. The 70s? should probably look that up. Uh, 79, I believe. 79. There you go. Yeah, I know. But it, it actually made these types of stories much easier to tell. It's kind of hard to sneak around now with cell phones and cameras and everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... So anyway, yeah, so uh, jumping on to the next one. Now we're, um, as we can see on the cover here, we have Giant Man. This is another fun issue. I've got a lot mm-hmm. to say about that particular character. Um, I love the fact that this issue starts out with a poker game. Again, uh, kind of a Marvel trick showing them being just right. regular people. I love it. So I, I do really like this. And yeah. I, I, I originally was thinking like, oh, this is going to be something that I talk about that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And then I was going through and thumbing through the issues again to start writing notes for the podcast. And sure. I realized that just moments earlier, Deathlock broke into Project Pegasus. Right. Fought a bunch of things, you know, blew up. And then, you know, moments later, they're like, Quasar, the, the head of security, sits down for a poker game. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> so he doesn't yeah. want to go and find out what the hell's going on around here. Like, I know. So obviously somehow Deathlock was able to break into the facility. But, but I, well, that, he doesn't really care. That's one thing that I, I kind of couldn't get through my head is like, how are all these people breaking in? Like even later on, I don't want to spoil yeah. it, but when Thunder breaks in, there's no alarms. They just kind of... It's kind of ridiculous. That, but. that was one small thing I was going to say that uh, I had a problem with, but I think it was just the repetitiveness of it. Right. Both both the fact that people were breaking in and that supervillains were breaking out. <laughs> right. Good point. Like, Good point. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of characters that break out and there's a couple of characters that break in. And we're supposed mm-hmm. to be following Quasar as the head of security and he's really kind of doing a crappy job. <laughs> which is so yeah, it's just kind of funny point. to to see uh-huh. him sitting here playing poker and i mean it, it's supposed to be a fun comic so mm. it, this is really more like nitpicky kind of joking stuff that i'm talking about but sure it was just kind of funny to see him goofing around and yeah figuring it, out what's abs- going on in the facility right it's absurd i can forgive it yeah but it's mm-hmm. definitely something it takes you out of a little bit it makes it tough to suspend disbelief yeah um I'll, and also, I gotta say the dialogue in this is, you know, Mark, I love Mark Renwald because of Quasar and Captain America. His, he's not the the most fluid writer. Like his dialogue's not the best, but it is pretty decent throughout. However, yeah. on page six, uh, digital seven, I don't. This is an example of dialogue I don't like. So when Bill Foster first becomes um, Black Goliath, the thing mm-hmm. says, "Doc, holy Hannah, you you're that Black Goliath guy." I don't know. I mean, it could have came out a little bit smoother, like yeah. what, Black Goliath or something like that. It just, it, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little chunky. Very, and you, you yeah. know, my favorite uh, chunky cliche dialogue is in comics is when, is when, is when a supervillain pops up and there's like a team, and one character will always say, "Oh, you know, you're the whatever. I read the file on you." will always be a character that says that I read the file on you. That's because, great. Because the writer kind of as an afterthought was like, oh crap, this writer, this 
heroes never met this villain, so I got to explain, you know, whatever. But it's just kind of awkward. But it's okay. I can forgive it again. Yeah. So anyway, so this brings me to my favorite, uh, and by favorite I mean worst uh, bit of dialogue in the comic. And this is where, okay, so they're talking. (laughs) So it's on page seven, uh, digital six. So the thing is at the bottom here. The thing's talking to Bill Foster, and Bill Foster's talking about. He says, "I might as well. I might as well break out the rest of my new costume. You know, I lose more street clothes this way." (laughs) And then thing says, "Say, Doc, if you don't mind my being nosy." You want to know how I became Goliath, right? Well, there's really not much to tell. Do you remember? <laughs> and then he flashes back and explains yeah. everything. And it's awesome, but... It's cheesy and ham-fisted, but... It, right. It, yeah. I, I also love how after... This is so cool. And it's good for continuity, right? Because then you can go, oh, look at that. Avengers number 32, Power Man 24 right. 25. Now I've got to go and read these. You see his previous costume. You know, it's kind of cool. But I love how when it comes back, he says, of course, I haven't exactly set the world on fire as a superhero. Matter of fact, I was hoping this new costume would change, would help my image. And I just remember, I'm thinking, what do you mean set, like, it's almost like they're rock stars or they're, yeah. you know, like they're, 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 they have careers as, a, it, as a wrestler. I think that goes back to what I was talking about in the Captain America issues that we were reading with it starting, with, with the story starting out with them signing autographs as if they were professional athletes right right so it does kind of have that feel continuing with this as well yeah it's weird i I guess i never really thought of it that way but it is strange that he's conscious of the fact that he's not really popular you know (laughs) like he reads the issues as well right he's he's disappointed that his character isn't getting a lot of action right (laughs) and it's and then then it's even funnier because then the thing and this is obviously the writers have already made the decision but now they're having the thing kind of help the plotting along where he says well it beats your old bear belly special. Oh, so he's talking about his costume. And he says, well, right. it beats your old bear belly special. But as long as you got yourself some new duds, why not complete the overhaul with a new name? I mean, it's pretty obvious that you're black. And if I remember my Sunday school lessons, Goliath was a bad guy. What do you suggest, Ben? Why don't you just call yourself Giant Man? And then it goes from there. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's funny. Yeah. You know, because obviously Marvel was, or someone at Marvel, Mark Grenwald, Ralph Macchio, they, they weren't happy with the direction of the character so they kind of just had Thing help him along into this new identity it's mm-hmm. kind of funny yeah and I think it works <sighs> like it's, yeah. it's it's fine it, it kind of stumbles along but I think in the end it ends up landing on its feet and I think it's fine right but yeah um, it's, it's I think I thought so it was yeah. also kind of funny that the Thing just offers up the giant man name as if he were like if he has any right to pass that, that right. along <laughs> but, good point good point yeah um, but, I think the rest of the issue is great. I mean, we get some yeah, more wrestling in there. I think um, one of my favorite parts of these issues, though, like one of my favorite moments, and th- th- I love this in any comic, is that when two characters team up, they use their skills to help each other. And I think mm-hmm. that uh, that's sometimes lost in modern comics. I mean, it's even lost in a lot of superhero movies. Like even in the Avengers okay. films, I feel like... I want to see the heroes using their powers together rather than just like, you know, them by themselves, you know, fighting a bunch of robots or drones or, you know, the same supervillains over and over again. So when the thing tears apart some metal and he makes lead boxing gloves for giant man, I absolutely love it. Like that is, I think my favorite part out of 
all of these issues just because I love mm-hmm. when they use their individualities and their, their, their individual superpowers to help each other out. And I think it's so fun. I, I love great, this moment. You know what? That's a great point. Um, yeah. I, I, it's something I noticed more so later with, um, say, Alan Moore or Mark Wade. But mm-hmm. when I went back and read older comics, they, they did it quite often is where they would have they would also have characters use their powers in unique ways like they would they would face an opponent and they would sort of like they'd be outmatched or or maybe the maybe their opponent had figured out a way to beat them and so they had to use their powers in a new way and this Mm -hmm. is kind of like that even beyond what you said about them helping each other it's just the fact that he would even think to do this it's just you know it's only what it's only like three panels long but it's just those little moments that stick with you right for sure it's not just a generic story it's yeah and i think that's what makes it work Mm -hmm. and then real quick i I was just going to talk about this is the moment when um, Bill tackles um, Nuclo. Nuclo. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And the thing makes like an offhand comment of him not caring about the burns and the, right. the radioactive uh, uh, power that's kind of affecting him. Foreshadowing. So, yeah. Right. Good point. I think it works. So, yeah, other than that, this is a pretty solid uh, story I found. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I had a note here um, about uh, the the final pages. I'm trying to kind of find it here, but um, is it with it's, Wondar, it's pretty sad actually. Like of what yeah. he's actually thinking. Why had Uncle Benji let the bad man strap him down and send the energy of the cosmic cube coursing through his body? And then it goes just goes on. But everything he's saying, he longed for the pain free warmth of the womb ship. It's right. pretty. Uh, heady psychological stuff like yeah. it's pretty pretty funky um i don't know i just again it adds another dimension to it again we have a character that's completely unique this is not a writer who's come up with a standard plot and just inserted characters into it right mm-hmm. the story is coming out of the characters and out of marvel history and that's what i like about it yeah i i 100 agree awesome yeah. um i i just one question too i don't sure. know much about wonder but okay. is he supposed to be Marvel's answer to Superman? Well, n- I never saw him that way. Um, but okay. I mean, I, I saw his. Or- you're right. I never knew his origin, and it, it definitely reminds me. I mean, recall yeah, Superman's it, origin. Because it's very, very much the same thing. Besides, right. like he doesn't have a family here, so like that's where it differs. But mm-hmm. everything else is is the same. Like him being a baby and his home planet blowing up and escaping on the ship, landing on Earth. Uh, yeah. Well, I so, think it, yeah. it's funny also that he goes from being Wondar to Aquarian, and it kind of almost makes him closer to like a, I don't want to say hippie, but almost like a hippie Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because I like, was thinking yeah. the same thing. I yeah. really was like, he should have just stayed with the, his other costume. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and and he, come, he does come up later, like in the Quasar series, he does show up there. I don't exactly okay. remember how what he's like then but I do remember him kind of being more like a hippie Jesus so maybe that's what they're going for I don't know yeah maybe but anyway okay so th- that that's the first half of the story and um, at this point John Byrne stops uh, drawing the story and with the next issue we are treated to some pencils from George Perez and I'm not sure are you a, a Perez fan um I wouldn't say I'm a fan I I, I okay I like his work I don't dislike it by any means what's what is what are some of the comics you've read by drawn by him 
Oh, I'm trying to think now. Um, have you read Crisis? I have read Crisis. Okay. I I'm very bad with remembering who okay, has okay, actually okay. done what. So I'm just gonna okay. look real quick. Sure. Uh, well, as, as your um, his well, no, go ahead. Go ahead, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was gonna say he's drawn almost everything, but um. I mean, it's he's got an interesting career because in a way he kind of peaked in the mid-80s and he wasn't quite as good in the 90s, but then he just got really good again. And uh, he, he's one of those guys that like, if you look, if you were to look at the artwork today of John Byrne and Frank mm-hmm. Miller and other guys from the early 80s, I mean, in my opinion, it's unprintable, okay? Right. Unprintable. But George Perez, up until, I believe he retired only a year ago because he has health issues, but... He was always good. He never faltered. He was always ultra detailed. Right. You know, he was always kept the same style. Um, again, he probably peaked in the mid '80s, but he's he's still been good ever since. Right. And I'm a huge fan. Like this is, to be honest though, this is not his best work. And I mean, this is only like you said, '79. But I'm actually surprised. Not only does it not really, I mean, there's some parts that look like him, but not only does it not really look like him, but it's noticeably less. Uh, professional, like I don't say professional, right. but it's noticeably less good than John Byrne's work. Like John's Byrne, John Byrne was already approaching his peak at this point, but Perez still had a few more years before he really um, got comfortable with the style. Mm-hmm. I think, like it, to be I, the worst insult I ever heard uh, about George Perez was someone said that his artwork looked like, um, oh, how do they describe it? Like a like a like a glossy coloring book or something like that but they used right. to be a coloring book and it's i can i can see it here what they meant however he was always really good at drawing machinery and if you notice and i was first gonna few say pages, I, the, yep. the detail in some of the machineries is really well done but i i can definitely see where some of the uh, complaints would come with with, with the, how the characters are drawn yeah um yep. looking at some of his his work i've definitely read some of his titan stuff sure uh, which was fun, Crisis. But I also remember reading his Avengers Assemble comic and really disliking it. Avengers Assemble? Yeah. I thought that was Mark Bagley. Um, Hold on a sec here. It's 2004, and it was George Perez. Get out of town, really? Huh. Oh, so this was... Um, was this... I think I, I'm this looking was... Up- are you looking at the Avengers Assemble by Kurt Busiek, George yes. Perez? See, okay, so that's that's that was a like collection. a sep- that was that was like almost like a graphic novel, correct? Well, no, no, this the the one I'm looking at here with Captain America running on the cover. This is a reprint of a 1996 reboot. Okay. Of Avengers, yeah. So that's the name of the story Assemble, but there is another series called Avengers Assemble that came out in oh, maybe. Oh, okay. 2012. That was Mark Bagley, and that was terrible. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what you're thinking of, but maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. And, and to be fair, even at that point when he was doing Avengers the second time around, mm-hmm. uh, it was not as good as his early 80s and late 70s work. It, it was, as you can see, it was detailed, but it just—it's like he was exaggerating anatomy in all the wrong places. And, and anyway, it just wasn't quite as good. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I also before we even get to the inside of the issue, I want to point out the cover. Did you take note of anything on that cover? Marvel 2 and 1, number 56. Uh, number 56? Um, yeah. 
I'm looking at the cover and I'm wondering. There's where a little bit the, of. Sorry. No, I was going to say, where the hell is Thundra punching the thing? Yeah, that I guess that is a little weird. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> where? <laughs> because the direction he's flying in, that looks like a a particularly um, bizarre choice of where to punch someone. But True, it doesn't matter. You yeah. can look at the cover for yourself and decide. Yeah, I guess I always uh, thought that thought that it was. I just kind of gl- glanced at it. Like this, the, the cover for this issue didn't really necessarily do anything for me it wasn't uh-huh. awful but it was just yeah it was a it was a cover uh-huh. um so i didn't really look at it too much but i guess i always just thought that he was getting punched in the head and it was kind of like a turnaround like, yeah, like, like in the be. face and it was like him spinning sure. around especially since there's that like a little be. bit of blood in his mouth but yeah that's weird i didn't really think about that uh-huh. yeah. um i also this issue is interesting in that it it's an old trick but they open in in the middle of action, then they flash back to explain how they got there. Right. Because you, know? you, you can't just open on like a conversation. you got to be in the middle of a big action. Scene, right. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, I don't know. Kind of interesting. Um, another great issue. Um, I mean, to be honest, I, 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 can't, I actually think I like John Burns art better on the first three issues than this mm-hmm. art. I love George yeah. Perez, but at this point, John, John Byrne was better. Um, there's something that really stood out to me, though. Um, you know, I know I'm a, I've studied out a little bit. I've drawn a little bit. And there's a really bizarre choice of panel paneling or uh, layout, however you want to call it, storytelling, on page 11, um, digital 8. If you notice, okay, so the panel 1, we've got um, Giant Man and yeah. Quasar sort of uh, facing each other. The next panel, they both notice that the alarm is going off, right? You see the aru at the mm-hmm. bottom. Okay. Next panel, they both have their backs to the to the reader and they're looking at the that thing on the wall, mm-hmm. the alarm on the wall, the graphic layout. Then the next panel is Quasar's hand. And then the panel after that, it's awkward because it's almost exactly the same position that Quasar's in, except now he's walking away right. from a yeah. different... So it, it's just, it's really poor choice of uh, storytelling. Like, ideally, you'd... Quasar's face would be in the front and Bill Foster would be in the back or something. It's yeah, kind of just a poor choice. He's practically in the same exact pose in right. uh, uh, three out of four uh, panels he's in I, on this You're page. actually right. Yeah. You, you, I didn't even notice the first one. He's also got his back. Yeah. So good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, obviously Perez got better as he went along. Yeah. So just something I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing that really stood out to me in this issue was... I mean, I, there is some creative art in here, like when um, when George Perez is depicting the, um, you know, when Quasar is kind of getting, uh, you know, like the Sonics from the yeah. one character are making are distorting. That's kind of a cool thing. Very creative. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I that that was one of the things that I uh, I liked about this issue as well was the the Mimi fight with Quasar. Sure. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, fun how they did the distortion of his vision and kind of getting a glimpse into his mind and like as he's you know descending into madness right and that's the thing is george perez is a self-taught artist his his anatomy was never 100 percent accurate but he's so dedicated he's so he never he's never lazy put it that way you know he always puts 100 percent of effort in right um, I, okay, so the, the one thing that really stood out was when Giant Man is fighting the two women, the two <laughs> right. wrestlers. It actually gets really violent. The one, so the one point, he picks them both up and 
smashes their heads together. Yeah. Now, I, I know it's a superhero comic and maybe it's because it's women, but it just felt extremely violent to me. What, did you? Did that stand out to you at all? Yeah, I, I guess it kind of did um, because you yeah you don't really see that very often especially in like the 70s 80s comics right but well it's funny because you know people can smash through walls and you can hit them over the head but when you bonk their heads together it just feels that extra step of realism right it just feels painful yeah anyway i I think maybe it just didn't just noticed that didn't uh, stand out as much because he was losing the fight the whole time sure so he got kind of like one hit in so but now that now that you mention it it does I guess it does kind of seem off, especially like with the rest of the tone of the the comic. But sure, yeah. I, and another thing that I uh, kind of noticed too. I don't know if it was necessarily in this issue, but Ben smoking a cigar a lot throughout the the story yes. was is definitely something you wouldn't see today. Uh, yeah, especially good since point. you know the comics are are marketed towards kids, so you would definitely uh, wouldn't see that. Sure. Today. Good point. Yeah. Good point. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about this issue. So uh, we can jump to the next yeah, one. Yeah, sounds good. Fifty-seven. Yep, fifty-seven. Now Marvel two and one with the thing and wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I I really kind of like this fun, quick boardroom scene to kind of set up uh, and summarize the events so far. Yes. That way, if you just picked up this issue, it wouldn't be super sequential. Right. Yeah, I really liked, uh, yeah, this quick little scene, and and I think what I liked about it too is it didn't it didn't feel like it dragged on too long, like they kind right. of just jump into it, recap, and then move on. And also because they probably would do that in real life, they probably, yeah. probably have a little meeting to kind of catch up yeah, on what's for going sure. on. It's also really well done. Like again, it doesn't look realistic, but at least it gets right. the point across. Like Prez's art gets the point it, across. It's also it's a great. fun way to. Uh, reintroduce it with all the screens showing the events rather right. than it just creative. being panels showing the past uh, like as a flashback right. they're, they're sitting down showing you what happened instead of telling you what happened and flashing back to That's it. A, it was a kind of a fun clever way that you don't yep. normally see in in, uh, in comics Absolutely yeah. Um, by the way, did you ever read the 80s G.I. Joe comic? No, actually, I don't think I've read any of that. It is so yeah. good. Okay, it's really good. But one of the things about G.I. Joe is they had a, a, a headquarters mm-hmm. called The Pit. It was almost exactly like this, okay. where it was all underground. It was secret. You know, they had, I think they had bad guys locked up. But it just really reminded me of that. It's almost a little bit uh, claustrophobic. Um, right. But I just think it's cool how they're... And it's kind of funny how you said earlier, but there's just so many things going on and they just sort of just keep, it's like when these people run, like when they get into this fight and the one guy runs away, like where does he go? It's like, oh, well, I guess he got away. <laughs> well, don't they have cameras? Don't they have sensors or something? something I don't know. Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah. It's funny. Um, I also love this bit about when Nuclo sort of breaks out and he's walking around looking for people to help him and he comes across Electro. And I love how, again, they incorporate the continuity and they refer to the fact that he's basically hospitalized because of specifically what happened in spider-man 187 i think that's great do you you know know what happened in 187 because i actually remember this yeah okay no i don't yeah i actually remember this it sticks out in my mind so much because of how ridiculously funny it is so Mm. in spider-man 180 the amazing spider-man 187 
uh, Spider-Man teams up with Captain America to track down Electro because he has okay. kidnapped a kid and he's holding him for ransom. Okay. And um, originally, like you're introducing Cap and Spidey are fighting because Cap says he shouldn't, Spider-Man shouldn't be there. Uh, but then eventually they team up and they go after him. And when you're first introduced to Electro, um, he's like coughing in the shadows and he like you sure. know, steps into the light and he starts fighting. And then it's revealed that the kid that he's stolen and has had kidnapped for a couple of days now has the plague. And has given Electro the plague. So when Cap and Spidey take the kid and run away, Electro realizes this and runs to like a nuclear reactor and starts siphoning off all the energy from it. And he takes too much and it becomes uncontrollable and he blows up. That's beautiful. (laughs) I cannot wait to read that story. So great. I I thought it was so nice. Uh We might not even be able... I don't think it'll be... Um, part of our read through because it's seventy nine. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Well, you know what? Once we finish the eighties, we'll we to, jump yeah, back. We'll have to swing we'll have to back. Loop around, right? You got it. Yeah. All right. Um, um, and this uh, there's a really great sequence. Okay, and this is something we kind of touched on earlier about um, superheroes helping each other and also using their powers in creative ways. Right. I love. The scene where just a minute, let me just jump to it here. Where is it? Uh, how did I? Okay, here we go. It's um, page twenty-seven, digital right. eighteen. When they're battling Claw, who is of course made out of sonic energy right. or whatever sound. Bill Foster, Giant Man, is pounding on this sort of force field that Claw has up. But then the thing says, "Wait a minute, Big Man. Wait a minute. You know, you'll never get through a sound wall by pounding on it." Listen to the voice experience here. And then he goes on. He has this idea. He says, listen, he says, making noise is only going to make it stronger. But if you just keep pushing against it real quiet, like maybe, just maybe, <laughs> the thing puts his finger up against the the force field and manages to just push his way through. It is so cool. Yeah, it's you know, really it's great. It's this little sequence of three panels of his finger going through, but it's awesome. And then, yep, he manages to get his whole yeah. hand through. It's just a great yeah. idea. I love you that. Know, I think that it it's really true to the thing, like as a character as well. Because even in the Fantastic Four, Reed is very like book smart. And he always, mm-hmm. you know, has a solution. But then Ben usually comes up with the simple things that you normally wouldn't think of or like the things that should sure. be obvious but aren't. So I thought that that yeah. was like a really great moment for Ben. Good yeah. point. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, this is also this is also the issue that there's a really funny gag earlier on in um on page 23 of the original okay. comic uh ben grabs the tracks of the this train oh. as they're getting away and he uses it as like a, a whip and he and like you know the 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 when he tugs on this thing it goes down the line and gets the 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 guy the bad guys getting away on the train and he even makes so reference cool. to it being uh, a roadrunner gag which is so right, funny right. and and it I think it works because 
it's on the nose and they know it. They, they make reference right. to that. And I think it also is so much fun because this is an hour main bad guy. This is like a fun side thing that's happening leading up to the main right. conflict. So I think it really works in this situation. I think that if it was in the next issue where we're fighting the main bad guy, I don't think it would have worked. But because it's sure. more of a fun kind of action sequence, I think it's it's great in this moment. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Great point. Um, you know, there's one more thing I got to say about this issue. Um, are you a Todd McFarlane fan? Um, <laughs> I mean, he's got his ups and downs. Okay. Okay. I grew up with him. Right. I loved him as a kid. Idolized him. I mean, I have, I have, you know, a lot to say about right. him now. I, I don't necessarily love him now, but I do like him. But there's one thing about this thing with the image artists is that it seems like it seems like Todd McFarlane sort of ripped off a bunch of little tricks from different artists right. like Marshall Rogers, Frank Frank Miller, uh, Art Adams. And then he used them, and then he used them again, and he used them again. And what ended up happening was then Rob Liefeld came along mm. and just copied Todd McFarlane <laughs> right. and re- used them again and again and again and again. But I swear to God, if you go to the very last panel of this page, okay, right. of this uh, issue, okay. the close-up on Claw, okay, I tell you right now, that face, I, I, I put money on it that it has been reused by Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld Really? hundred okay. times. Like, just the way that it's zoomed in and the face is cut off in that specific way, the mouth, the teeth, the tongue, everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless George Perez did this in other comics, I'm pretty sure that is exactly where they got it from. <laughs> and, uh, I, of course, I have no specific references, but if I ever do find them, I'll let right. you know. Okay, yeah. You'll have to let me know. Yeah, Todd McFarlane is, is for the most part, I like him, but there's... I feel like there's moments where sure. where his art kind of stands out where something doesn't sit right with me. But I mean, he's he's done some classic stuff though, like yeah. his his Spider Man, uh, you know, black suit story is great. Sure. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think he's one of those guys, a, a classic '80s guy, where he had so much promise and talent, and then he got he he should have been schooled and coached into mm. becoming a really good artist, right. but he didn't. He got so popular so fast, and then he kind of just stuck with that one style and then never really evolved, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But anyway, so now we come to our final issue in this six-issue series, uh, Marvel 2 and 158, The Thing, and Marvel's latest, greatest superstar, Aquarian, which is kind of a trick because it technically is Wonder, just with a new name, right. but whatever, that's fine. Um... Oh, great splash page, yeah. right? Jumping in with in the like coming into the middle of this battle. It's just great. And now we're uh it's inked by Gene Day, who was a, a fairly, you know, well known artist at the time. I believed he died at a young age, so uh he really as far as I know, yeah, in the early eighties he died. So he I know he did some Batman and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's also an artist in his own right, as as well as being an anchor. So anyway, so we're introduced to Aquarian here, like as we said earlier, the sort of hippie Jesus Superman character formerly known as Wondar, mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool. Um, this was, as you said, we've kind of talked about this earlier, how this was kind of a culmination of five, issue, five issues of uh, plotting. Right. Uh, everything comes together here. We find out why, um, you know, why all these random characters were invading uh, Project mm-hmm. Pegasus, or 
Yeah, what do they call it? Is it called I a pit? I don't even I, know. I think they call it Project Pegasus. Like, I think that... But it has different sections, yeah. like the pit and some other sections, right? Okay. Yeah, because they, they, so, they say that they... They, they infiltrate Pro- Project Pegasus at one point. So I guess that the right. facility itself is called Project Pegasus, but there's okay. different parts to it. So here we have some classic bad dialogue on page six, which is uh, Digital Six. <laughs> right. And that's, they basically walk into this room and everything's kind of flying towards the right. center of the page. And we see the outline of a man and he's all white, so he's not there. And, of course, the thing has to say, it's a hole in the air in the shape of a man. <laughs> Ugh! Why do they have to do that? Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, I can forgive it, but it's not great dialogue. And it's funny because, you know what? Not even cartoons, like Saturday morning cartoons, had dialogue that <laughs> on the nose. You yeah. Know? But whatever. I can forgive it. So they flash back and they explain everything. And it's cool because at least it shows how it all ties together. Mm-hmm. Right? With, like... um. Deathlock, how he fits in, and uh, these other characters right. here. Thunder I don't know. I just the, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, it, it, it does kind great. of like do a small recap in the form of a kind of like you know one pale a one page you know flashback kind of thing. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well yeah. done. Um, so basically, they fight this guy, and it's kind of a, a cool scene because. Um, giant man basically is willing to sacrifice himself yeah. in order to defeat this guy and again another sort of creative use of his power mm-hmm. he basically is going to go into him and he's going to kind of fill in the the space that the guy right. like the empty space that the guy is in right which is kind of a which cool is idea. very really cool like a fun idea for the power and then i i also love that um so they set up earlier that um, Wondar now has this power to like absorb energy, and this guy uh-huh. looks like he's pure energy almost. So I had I had right. always like going into this, I said, oh, "Okay, cool." They set it up. That's what they're gonna go with. And then before this even happens, we find out that he can't do it for some reason. Right. He can't get close enough, or even even when he's like right on top of, he can't for some reason like siphon off enough of the power to weaken him and then Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the solution is is that um giant man's gonna go in and expand and then it doesn't work i was i was certain that it was gonna work i was actually caught off guard that um the story you know set up a solution and then said it wasn't gonna work and then again did it a second time with giant man Uh so yeah i gotta say that that's to me that's great writing because you know the easy solution like the first one that comes to mind should never be the one that works like it's just that extra step that just makes it that much more satisfying right and then they've all got to work together there's actually a a, a famous scene in crisis where um the flash the kid flash i believe is holding on to the original flash and he's holding on to superman and it really reminds me of the scene here with fun on page right. 27 uh everybody's linked arms where th- mm-hmm. yeah thunder's holding on to quasar quasar's holding on to the thing i think it's great and um yeah just a nice little uh yeah i mean qu- uh, i don't know if crisis was intentionally a callback but it's a nice scene it's really mm-hmm. well done um 
Also, this is weird. This weird moment where Quasar is thinking to himself, "I was just thinking of what Lightner said about us existing at all levels of the multiverse. What if we've only destroyed our reality's portion of the Nth Man? What if he's still stalking another universe where no right. Wondar exists to stop him?" And I mean, <laughs> hey, I don't know if they ever came back to that, but what a great setup for a future story, yeah. right? Awesome. Yeah. So that's basically it. So they've defeated the bad guy. They wrap everything up, and you know. That's pretty much it. Everyone um, says their goodbyes. They forgive Thundra for breaking in, right? They're not going to charge her with anything or do whatever they do. And then on the last page, we get this little um, epilogue, epilogue (laughs) two, where we kind of reveal that the whole thing was orchestrated by the head of Roxxon, which is, of course, the Marvel version of Exxon, right? right? The evil oil corporation. You know, I just love it. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's it. So, I don't know. I Like I've said before, I freaking love this issue. I love the yeah, story. The, Overall, I think it was a great, you know, six-issue Yeah, run. I, I completely agree. Um, the, the six issues really worked for me because the story, again, really connected throughout those issues. There was good payoff, this great storytelling, and then with the really cool, like, last-minute psych-out at the end of the last issue with the... You know, building up to the bad right. guy and then figuring out that this thing that they've been setting up kind of isn't going to work. Yeah, I think I think this was a lot of fun. Right. And the thing about this story is just when I was ready to... Because I kind of about six months ago decided... I, I'm, you know, I think it was after Stan Lee died. I was like, I'm going to read every single Marvel comic from 1961 to 1986. Right. And I started reading and I got about... First of all, I started reading and immediately started skipping certain issues because I'm like, okay, well, I'm not reading, you know, um, the, the Human Torch backup stories. I'm not reading the Watcher solo okay. stories. I'm skipping those. And then it's like, okay, I'm not going to read Millie the Model. And then it's like, I'm not going to read the <laughs> War ones. And then even the superhero ones, like, it takes Marvel a good, I would say, one to two years to really get rolling into the style we're right. used to. And then I sort of jumped over to Captain Marvel, Marvel. Right. And those are oh god, I, I don't know. I don't, it was like about forty issues. Honestly, they're terrible. Wow. They're all terrible. And so I kind of lost faith. And so reading this story restored mm-hmm. my faith. It makes me want to go back. It's like in my head, I go, "Oh shit!" Now I got to read every Marvel two in one. I got to read everything. I got to read every story by <laughs> Mark Grenwald and Ralph Macchio. Yeah. You know, so definitely a good story. I I mean, again, if you're looking for good. Bronze Age comics. This is a great place to start, or not to start, but definitely. Well, you a know good what? Honestly, line. even if somebody started here, I don't think it would be bad. Like, e- right, if this right. was somebody's first issue, like first story arc that they picked up, I don't think that it's a bad example of what comics in the the this era were like. It's a, it's a right. pretty solid example of some fun storytelling, some really great characters coming together, some fun action, good art. Yeah, I, I I definitely would recommend this. And you know what? And the thing is, is again, it might be because I grew up in this era. But whereas I do think that the '60s and early '70s stuff is a little bit too primitive, even mm-hmm. for me, I have a hard time reading it. For me, this stuff, everything works perfectly for me yeah. as a reader. I love it all. Yeah. So there you go, Project Pegasus by Mark Grenwald, Ralph Macchio, John Byrne, Joe Sinnott. Gene Day and George Perez. 
highly recommended by the both of us. Next week, I'll be joined by special guest Mara, and we'll be reviewing Fantastic Four number 14, featuring Salem 7. That's one week from now. See you then. Thank you.